0: Make sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are saved for the glory of God. Thinks, that one I'm going to choose. If you believe that, friends, you don't know the gospel. Is that The wonder of the cross is that no one gets injustice. If you, if you end up under the wrath of God, it is because you've rejected his provision for you and you are justly punished for your sins. To what the scriptures teach. I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men. And he has provided uh, for uh, the, the salvation of all men and therefore anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his, provo- his provision for them and they are justly punished for their sins. Well, the
1: question As my- that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die? the extent of the atonement asks the question for whose sins did jesus die there are only two answers two possible answers to that question either jesus died for the sins of some people or jesus died for the sins of all people
2: all right welcome to making the hedge my name is josh gibbs i'll be your host we've got James C. Johnson with us again this afternoon. Thank you all for those of you who are tuning in right now uh, live with us. Uh, Hopefully those reminders are something that is beneficial to you that you can use and set a reminder for. Uh, I've just recently started doing that and uh, I think that that can be effective for those of you who uh, tune in regularly. Uh, But then again, um, for those of you who are going to view this later, a lot like uh, what I do with a lot of the videos I watch. Thank you guys for tuning in as well. Um, hopefully, this is something that you uh, will find beneficial. I know that uh, we had spoke briefly on Thursday night um, about uh, just kind of an introduction to what homiletics is and why it is important for uh, basically kind of a an everyday church member um, what it is and um what we can learn from it so that's what we're going to be talking about today james welcome again
1: yes sir brother gibbs thank you so much for having me and i gotta mention you're wearing a royals jersey again but this time (laughs) it's not autographed so you must have several brother oh
2: i've got a few so this one another you you notice that you can kind of see uh one of these fives is removed this also (laughs) this also came from my wife's grandpa and uh, I can only imagine what happened. Here's what I picture happening. He had one jersey on him, 55. He sees George Brett, who wore number five. He rips the other five off, and there's a George Brett autograph on the back of it. So.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's great, brother. Cool. So, I'm a yeah. big Bo Jackson fan, and so when I think of the Kansas City Royals, I think of Bo Jackson. He was a phenomenal player.
2: Yeah, Oh, Bo Jackson. Gosh, that guy, I mean, just a freak athlete in general with football and baseball. One of the most famous scenes of him in baseball is when he runs up the wall, you know, and everybody just uh, thinks that that's the greatest thing in the world. And I mean, he does it with such ease, but I don't know. He's, he, uh, if he, I would have loved to seen what, what he could have done in his career if he didn't um, get injured with that hip injury, but yeah. Yeah, When
1: I was a boy, I had that baseball card where he's got the shoulder pads and the baseball bat.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. I
1: wish I still had that today. It'd probably be worth significantly more money than it was back then. But yeah, but, yeah I have a lot of respect for, for Bo Jackson, and I love the Royals just because primarily of Bo Jackson.
2: So. Yeah. Well, the Royals have kind of uh, – they've surprised us in the last, I don't know, f- five years or so. Um, for we, I actually went to um, – What's his name? John Christ. Do you know who John Christ is?
1: Uh, Christian comedian.
2: Yeah, I went to one of his uh, shows. He, he was up in St. Joe, about an hour away from where we're at in Lee's Summit. And um, uh, he was talking about Kansas City, and I don't know if he knew it or not. But he kept saying, "Well, you know, he was making jokes about some of the disappointing things in Kansas City, and he kept saying, well, the Royals are just one of those disappointing teams that you've got that just always promise you the most, and they get you excited, and then you're always let down and sad because the the season ends in a way that you never you never hope it does.'" But I what's what's what, I don't know if he actually knows that uh, the Royals won the World Series a couple of yeah. years ago. So
1: yeah, he needs to but. Google that. He, yeah.
2: <laughs> Anyways, right. so. Point. All right. Well, we are going to get into today the discussion on homiletics, uh, which is just a word that describes uh, kind of the art of preaching, different styles of preaching. I'm trying to get my comments up here. I know that I had uh, one gentleman who who's been my moderator in the past. Um, he has got some questions that, uh, if we have time, if you wanted to, that he would like to ask you regarding homiletics, and so. Um,
0: yeah.
2: But okay, so let's start. I thought this would be the best way to begin. Um, I, I was reading on your Twitter page, and you've obviously got a link on there. I want to pull this up for those of you who are watching um, live with us. Let me see if I can get to the Twitter page. Here is um, the website for your church, Northstone Baptist Church, and it's just northstonebaptist.org. Uh, I was looking on if you're on if you if you use Twitter primarily like I do, you can look up Pastor James C. Johnson. Uh, his Twitter handle is at James Johnson S F L, and um, there's a link there to their website on their church as well, which was interesting to me. There, um, it, it looked like you've been involved in ministry for about 18 years and uh, got involved in the bus ministry. And maybe that's how you began to grow and um, learning to walk with the Lord. But I wanted to ask you, kind of, uh, Pastor James, how that all kind of came about and what the bus ministry meant to you and, and how you ended up where you're at today.
1: Sure, yeah. I was I would saved, converted I would to, Christ to Christ, when I was when nine I was years, years old. old. Uh, it was 1988. 1988. A lot of when people I get saved save when they're kids. kids. Uh, and, and we rejoice in any testimony, adult or child. But I think the huge percentage... Uh, Of Christians today who are adults say I got saved when I was a child and I'm definitely one of those Uh, My mom led me to the Lord. Uh, I was at a playground in Minneapolis, Minnesota a little uh, Actually area north of Minneapolis Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, and uh, I have three younger sisters They were playing over on the playground area and I was sitting uh, next to my mom she was on the picnic bench And I was on the ground next to her, and I was looking through a book about the planets. And I asked my mom about the planets and, like, how they orbit, (laughs) you know, a nine-year-old's kind of question. And uh, anyhow, she said God hangs them there. And uh, my mom used that opportunity to tell me I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior and that Jesus was that Savior. And who knows better than your mom knows that you're a sinner?
2: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: To me, all of my sinful shortcomings, and and of course, the longer you live, the more you realize, you, you know, your own depravity, your own sinful condition, and and uh, anyhow, I realized I needed a, a savior, and Jesus was that savior, and I called upon Him to save me. But I didn't start going to church, and I wasn't really discipled um, until I was it was I was about 12 years old, and uh, Mike Monty, Dr. Mike Monty. And doctor, earned doctorate, Dr. Hedges, Uh, he's a veterinarian. These two men were knocking on doors in north Minneapolis. I grew up in the inner city. And uh, they were inviting kids to their vacation Bible school. And so I was thrilled that they knocked on my door as a 12-year-old boy, super excited about vacation Bible school. They said they had Snickers bars, and they had uh, a dunk tank. And uh, and they had a devil, a guy dressed up in a devil costume. Oh, wow. Dunk the Devil uh, was was what it was. And back then, Nolan Ryan was a famous Major League Baseball pitcher. Oh, yeah. And Earl Hershiser, uh, the Dodgers, Earl Hershiser. Anyhow, I thought as a 12-year-old boy, I was going to be the next Earl Hershiser or something. So uh, anyhow, I was ready to go dunk the devil. I, so I was excited. And uh, I knew I was saved when I was nine. I did rededicate my life to the Lord when I was 12. And then I started going faithfully to Calvary Baptist Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. And uh, I wasn't formally discipled in the sense that, you know, taken through a 13-week curriculum. uh, But I was largely influenced uh, by my pastor and then uh, the youth pastor. Uh, was Mark Monty, um, so Mike was my senior pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Mark is his identical twin brother. He later came and became the youth pastor. So growing up with pastors who are twins in Minnesota, we called them the Minnesota Twins. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> That's awesome. And, That's yeah. Cool.
1: So those guys, you know, kind of indirectly discipled me. It wasn't a, um, you know a formal setting, but it was just watching their. Uh, zeal for the word and their love for souls and their investment in people and then i ended up going to their tuition-free christian school little church basement christian school and uh both of the monty brothers graduated uh, with honors uh, from uh, bob jones university they graduated summa cum laude so they are very intelligent men and Mm uh and pastor mark monty actually um you know when you think about discipleship in the first century uh, when they were discipling people, it was actually like bringing people into your home, and sometimes mm-hmm. the disciples would live with you. Well, growing up in the broken home inner city environment that I did, uh, when I was 15, I actually needed a place to live. Mm-hmm. And my youth pastor, Mark Monty, took me in, and, uh, and so I got to actually observe the dynamic between uh, he and his wife and watch him raise his kids. And that stood in stark contrast to what I saw in my inner city home. Um, um, my biological dad left when I was two, and then my mom remarried, so I had a stepdad uh, in my home there till I was 15. So, and he was very abusive and aggressive, and and frankly obnoxious. And so to to see a broken home and, and to grow up in one, and then to see a home where the husband loved the wife as Christ loved the church, and and loved his kids, and endeavored to, not to provoke his children to wrath. I mean, so so honestly, both both situations helped me. Um, and so I was thrilled that I got to learn the lessons I did, that the Lord took me through the trial that he did of my upbringing, but then to learn also the way things should be. And, and Mark and Kelly Money are not perfect people uh, by any means, but they definitely, during the years I was there, were in pursuit of uh, growing in the Lord and, and sanctification and then modeling out the gospel and its implications in their home. So, um, So, yeah, the bus ministry had a huge impact on me. And then later, I was about 16 years old, and I became a bus captain myself. So uh, at sixteen, at sixteen, yeah. Now I couldn't drive. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, but I could I could lead singing. I could yeah. preach on the bus. I could I could uh, manage the workers. Um, and so yeah, so we I recruited a driver. The, the church was a big bus ministry church, so uh, they had four routes. And so I was I was responsible for the route that went to South Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a big push one uh, promotion Sunday. And um, my bus won uh, the Big Push Day. On my route alone, we had 101
2: riders. That is awesome.
1: It was pretty cool. So it's just neat how I was discipled, uh, you know, because of the bus ministry. And then I've been a part of discipling others uh, through
2: that same outreach uh, venue. And so I'm thrilled about that. Yeah. Wow. There is a lot in there. I mean, if you if I was obviously I haven't heard the whole your whole story like that. Um, just kind of bits and pieces, just from the little bit of conversation that we've had. But hearing it like that for the first time, it's 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 kind of like the odds were against you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what's amazing about that is God, God definitely uses the bus ministry. God uses door-to-door evangelism, and God uses. Um, means and styles of preaching differently in uh, different churches and different ways and different, different methodologies. I think that that God can use um, and does use those means to reach people. And, you know, so that's awesome. Praise the Lord. So I guess you can still dunk the devil, can't you? <laughs> I don't know. Could you get away with that in church today? <laughs>
1: oh, no. People think it's too gimmicky most of the time, oh, yeah. you know, but but uh, it worked for me. I mean, yeah. I, I was compelled by it as a kid, and 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 everybody draws that line a little bit differently as far yeah. as, you know, Luke 14 compelling them to come in. Right, and
2: different yeah. Have different
1: ideas. I think in general, if you're not compromising biblical principle, uh, you know, go for it.
2: So. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into uh, the topic of the discussion today, which will be homiletics, and a uh, very brief um definition of homiletics uh, i'll give you guys a real brief rundown for those of you who are watching i want to define what we're talking about homiletics and define preaching and how the two are linked together and then we'll talk about the different styles of preaching that there are uh, and then compare those i want to play a couple of video clips for you Uh, That's a a more modern preaching style from a guy that you've probably heard, Stephen Furtick. And then I want to play another video from uh, another up-and-coming, or at least kind of newer to, um, at least from what I can tell. Um, There's a video clip that has um, kind of a compilation of different styles of preaching, which to me, it didn't really seem like a whole lot of different styles of preaching, as opposed to a different way of presenting the gospel itself. Um, but it didn't seem like a different style of preaching. So I'm just going to play one uh, one preacher um, from that clip there, and then we'll kind of talk about those a little bit. And then we do have uh, a couple of you have reached out and have got some questions. Uh, we'll open it up to questions for any of you who are viewing um, that maybe something that we talk about as the discussion comes along that you can, you can think of something and type it in there. Um, I'll go through the comments and see if we can um uh, talk about it and address it and bring it up so this will be your chance to do that and uh, i'm going to pull this up on the screen i pulled up uh, just kind of the wikipedia definition for what homiletics is and it's uh let me get to it here it it's the means uh homiletics simply means the art of preaching Uh, it compromises the study of the composition and delivery of a sermon or other religious discourse It includes all forms of preaching, which would uh, include sermons, homilies, catechetical instruction. Um, It may be further defined. Here's where it kind of breaks down in in the sense of an analysis, classification, preparation, composition, and delivery of the uh, sermons. Now, we talked uh, on Thursday, and you basically broke it down into three categories that it was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember correctly, Uh, you had it as expositional or expository and then there was um, uh, typological is that what it was and then let me see here Um, topical textual and expository slash exegetical is that right?
1: Yes sir yeah 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 and uh, and those are really typical Uh, most books that are written about the topic of homiletics will address uh, the functionality of, yeah. of those three and, and, you know, impl- Using those sermon styles as the three major vehicles for communicating the word of God.
2: Yeah. See, and this is where um, this is kind of where I when you, when you mentioned the different styles of, of implementing that, I would say kind of the situation that you're in, whether it's whether it's behind a pulpit in a church or whether it's an open air preaching or if it's out on the street or um, if you're in a nursing home, those kinds of things could affect the different style of preaching that you would present to somebody. What what would you say is um, a style of preaching that you use in your church? Or do you mix it up?
1: I do mix it up. I think that the first rule of public speaking, as they say in Speech 101, is consider your audience.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and so I think you preach differently to the junior church than you should to the adult, uh, you know, well-churched. And, and, but here's the the issue with homiletics in, in today's society is that they're Are many that would strongly disagree with what I I just said. That that I am willing to mix it up. Like there are guys on both ends of the spectrum that are dogmatic about their style. And so what they say is, um, if you're not an expositor, uh, then then you're not the right kind of preacher. Mm -hmm. And 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 there's other guys that say, well, if you're not a topical preacher, then you're boring. Okay. Yeah. Right. uh, and, and there are whole conferences and movements, really, within Christianity that are dedicated to these different styles of preaching, um, and and really textual preaching is kind of the the, the middle of the road style, and uh, it was very popular in the 1800s, um, and, and it seems to be less and less popular now. And a lot of guys, a lot of guys that are that fancy themselves to be intellectual, are exposition only guys. Um, and, and so, for me, um, I do mix it up. I do think about the first rule of um, of public speaking, considering my audience. I try to, you know, as a pastor, um, we have the wonderful opportunity of delivering the word of God to people. But in any audience. You have people that need the milk of Mm -hmm. the Word of God, and then you have people that need the meat of the Word of God. People that um, have been serious in their study and spiritual growth uh, that need uh, not just a a real basic explanation. So the milk and meat, and sometimes that's delivered through exposition, sometimes topical, and I think sometimes sometimes textual as well.
2: So I think that kind of leads into the next part that we wanted to do in our opening discussion was uh, preaching itself. Um, if if you were to define preaching and the purpose of preaching in a local church, uh, who who exactly would you say is the 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 primary, I guess if you want to say audience or target or primary um, person, just pew person that's listening. Is the purpose of the local church supposed to be centered towards uh, preaching and teaching in, in in the Word of God for Christian believers, or is it supposed to be targeted towards uh, reaching the lost for the per- the lost person in the pew, and how do you balance those two things?
1: Yeah, super good question. I think it, it is a balance, and I think both an- both options you gave uh, are included in the answer. You know, some guys will say um, the 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 pulpit ministry is exclusively just for the saints of God um while other guys say the pulpit ministry is exclusively for evangelism and and I think again there's a balance there um the pastor is given to feed the flock in uh-huh. first peter chapter 5 uh also the equipping of the saints in ephesians chapter 4 and and the way we feed them is by preaching the word to the redeemed and and uh the way we grow them mature them equip them uh is again by preaching the word uh but but at the same time you will have people that come to your church that don't know Jesus as yeah. their Savior. I'm in Pensacola, Florida, and this is considered part of the Bible Belt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this, I, I got to do some door-to-door uh, this afternoon, and went knocked on doors here in the Bible Belt and tried to talk about Jesus and talk the gospel with people. And there's a lot of people who are who are in name only
2: mm-hmm. Christians, yeah. you
1: know, nominal. Um, and 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 so some of them will come to, to come to church. And by the way, there's a lot of people that that sit in pews for years in good Baptist churches uh, that actually don't know Jesus as their Savior. So yeah. we don't want to take anybody's salvation for granted. So I, so, so the model I saw growing up was that typically Sunday morning, my pastor would preach a very evangelistic sermon. It would be a gospel-heavy sermon, inviting the lost to come to Christ. Sunday night, he kind of viewed his family night. And that was a heavy discipleship, uh, Christian growth kind of focus, um, dealing with things that, that people deal with, like, when you get offended at somebody, how do you deal with it? And uh, things like, I'm jealous of somebody, how do I deal with that? And yeah. uh, just real relatable, helpful stuff. And then and then Wednesday night in the church I saw, that I, that I grew up in, was, was heavy Bible study. That's where yeah. people were going to get, where the pastor was really exegeting a text. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, trying to, on a deeper level, disciple people. So... So I understand that the pastor's primary focus, um, his immediate focus, I should say, is the flock that is before him. Uh, but then he also has an evangelistic focus and, and understanding that not everybody in that congregation truly knows Jesus as their Savior. And uh, and, and then hopefully, hopefully you get your church family to the point. Where, where they are discipled enough, I mean, they're growing in the Lord, uh, and most of them are not on the milk, but many of them are on the meat, mm-hmm. that they're involved in outreach as well, and they're bringing unsaved to sit next to them in their pew. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so then you get to be real evangelistic, and and uh, and so I think it's a balance. Yes, sir.
2: See, and if you ask me, I, I think that that's a, a really good description for what the purpose of the church is. It's 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 got to have a balance to be able to feed those who need the milk versus those who need uh, the meat of the the scripture so to speak where you can where where you can start on the shallow end and get a little deeper in the word of god but um, it 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 shouldn't be simply to bring the lost to the church but but, but to send the church to the lost and how yeah. can they do that if they're not prepared you know right. so when i look when i when i kind of look at um, what churches are doing today, for the most part, I see that you've done away with a Sunday night church. Uh, you probably don't have a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, unless it's more of a worship style thing, um, in the sense of, you know, a praise and songs and singing and, and that, and maybe a 10-minute message. But the depth of the Word of God is, is primarily uh, something that is piggybacked off of what happens on Sunday, which would simply be um, a message to you know reach the lost or to help give you a practical application to how to get through life and I think that we need those things as well but but uh to me it just seems like um church today has become something that you go to yeah. and uh I I think that um it's I don't I don't really know how to put it I think that it's it's kind of it, it's different than what it was 50 years ago you know sure. Um and and I don't know. I think that I think that the way that you've you've broken it down from the, w- the model that you saw um, with Sunday morning to Sunday night to Wednesday night uh, to given that seems like it'd be a pretty good balance to to provide for the needs of everybody who could come through those doors.
1: Amen. yeah. every preacher strikes that balance differently yeah. um, and, and we understand that, but I think we just got to be mindful again of that first rule of public speaking consider yeah. your audience and and they they're all going to have different needs and the task before you uh, is to try to meet all those needs yeah. in a 35 40 minute sermon <laughs>
2: yeah yeah so I, okay so i wanted to ask this question and what do you think about um, the sun what what do you think about a sunday morning message that's followed up by a podcast that you can listen to and get a little bit deeper on in a podcast that wasn't able to get to just for time constraints or um, whatever the case may be for a Sunday morning message. Do you think that that's something that we can use today and be effective for the local church, or should that take place in the actual local church?
1: Um, and when you say podcast, you mean like, uh, so you go to church and you're there for worship and, yep. and, and and spiritual growth and then you leave and there's a like a, a fresh podcast available that gives you further information so you can download it and yep. listen, that kind of
2: thing? Yep, exactly.
1: Yeah, I'm for that. I mean, yep. I, I, I'm for, uh, I think that's great. You know, any kind of thing you can give the people for further study
2: yep.
1: um, is really helpful. One of the things I do is... I will—we do a churchwide email every week, so the Saturday—here we are on Saturday—the yeah. uh, Saturday before I preach a text. I so, so you're talking about doing something after the fact. I try to do something before the fact where I tell the people the text I'm going to preach from ahead of time and encourage them all to read it uh, because I want them to get things in preparation for what I deliver to them. And I think on the back end as well, if people can— can leave and, and download more and be further saturated by the text and the the concepts that the text presents. I think that's super healthy and and certainly could foster additional spiritual growth.
2: I completely agree with that and personally um, I think that that I, I, I just it, you know there's only so much that you can do in a sermon that it t- if if you've delivered a message you are like man you know it didn't really come out the way that I had prepared for it to come out and it, and it, 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 it never really does in my own experience, it, it never really comes out the exact way that you prepare for it to, and obviously that should be um, that should be God and the Holy Spirit guiding the message to give what needs to come out for the people. And um, but in that regard, here's what something that I would lead to and bring up is the the guy behind the pulpit, the pastor uh, or the preacher or the teacher, whoever it is, um, or all of the above. Um, when they are when you're delivering a message. Do you think that we have gone away from what it was in the 1800s to the 1900s to even 50 years ago to 30 years ago to today that it's no longer a God is provi- here's a message from God type of sermon? And now do you think that it's transitioned to something that's more of an entertainment style of preaching?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. and. I think people. Some preachers do that out of necessity, um, because because of the media that's all around us. As far as uh, you know, we're using uh, you know YouTube here, and I mean, people. Our society is so entertainment-driven yeah. that you know Jonathan Edwards. They say when he preached, "Sinners in the hands of an angry God," that he was monotone, but he was spirit-filled. Yeah. Okay? Right. You know, but 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 monotone, and and the great revival breaks out. Um, you know, people today would would quench the potential of of revival because they want the antics, um, and and even well-church Christians come to church seeking entertainment, and they compare preachers uh, to the late-night host that they watched, you know, you know the, the night before, and they expect you to be that funny, that entertaining, engage their emotions, you know, on that level. People people view, a, you know, they they assess a sermon based on did I. Did I was I moved to tears you right. know did I laugh was I convicted but not too convicted where I felt guilty
2: yeah
1: and, you <laughs> know a lot of times churchgoers will walk out with that kind of an assessment and if none of their emotions were invoked then they then they view it as an unsuccessful sermon yeah. and I tell uh, we have interns at our church and, and different ministerial students and I tell them if they teach the message of the text whether they made us laugh made us cry or any of that, if they tell us what God said, then that's a successful sermon. Yeah. And, um, and I think we need to get back to that, and I think that Christians need to have, they need to ask the Holy Spirit of God to give them a palette for, tell me what God says. Right. You know, they need to develop a taste for that, and, um, and we're talking about homiletics, um, and one of the things I wrote here in my notes is just about people's homiletical expectations. You know, people sometimes, and maybe they're not familiar with homiletics, they don't know that they have homiletical expectations, but they come uh, presupposing, pre-expecting um, a certain kind of delivery, whether it's expositional, which is usually heavy, telling me what the text says, which is often very good. But sometimes if you preach a topical message, um, even if it's thoroughly biblical, even if it's hermeneutically correct, um, you rightly divide the word truth, but it's topical, well, people sit in your pew and they try out your church and they say, Well, he wasn't expositional, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, and then they get kind of that, that preacher, at least in their mind, gets pigeonholed as yeah. a topical preacher if he preached you know, I preached a sermon on jealousy yeah. um, not that long ago. And that's a topical message. It is very difficult to, to do an expositional sermon yeah. on the topic of jealousy. And so you so so that's why I said I try to I try to use all the vehicles and I'm not in anybody's club. Um, But there are guys, Dr. MacArthur is one, Dr. Piper is another, you know, Albert Moeller. And by the way, I've been to the Expositor Summit uh, Mm -hmm. several years in a row. I've heard MacArthur in person. I've heard Alistair Begg in person, uh, Moeller in person, where they're all talking about the importance of exposition. Mm -hmm. And and, um, I've also downloaded their sermons on Sermon Audio. It's really funny to me, brother, that when they advocate for the exposition-only concept— they always do it topically. (laughs) They always do it topically. They take the passage, uh, you know, about study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and then they topically tell you for the next 45 minutes how to rightly divide the word of truth. That
2: is awesome. Yeah, let's give an explanation on how to be an expositional preacher through the topic of exposition. (laughs) That is awesome. That uh, is
1: exactly what they do. So yeah. so I have been influenced by a lot of the guys I mentioned, um, and, and I've also been influenced by guys who are famous for topical preaching, um, like Jack Hiles, mm-hmm. and I mentioned him in our little teaser video. Um, I grew up going to youth conference at First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, uh, every year. Our church in Minneapolis would send a, a load of us teenagers down, and I listened to what I think is one of the best topical preachers ever, um, and I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding his ministry and his name, and I will be, you know, pegged as a Hiles guy just because I've identified with the bus ministry and, and, and now kind of promoting Dr. Hiles. But he was a terrific communicator. Um, yeah. And so he could take a topic and inspire God's people to be more like Christ uh, through the vehicle of topical preaching. Yeah. But then at the same time, I have listened to hours and hours and hours of, of expositors. Um, and they have also helped me. Yeah. And I think the, the shortfall of a Hiles-type ministry was that there was a lack of, of Bible knowledge. I think the greatest problem facing American Christianity, or really Christianity around the world, is a lack of Bible knowledge. Yeah. And some yeah. of that topical preaching motivated and inspired people, and it was appropriate. It helped me. I surrendered to preach under that. Um, yeah. But... it didn't didn't feed, it didn't have the meat to it. And -hmm. and so then then we have this other end where it's all very Ivy League and it is all high level and it's well nuanced and it's terrific exegesis, um, but a certain kind of pride comes with that, a certain level of arrogancy and an exclusivity that's unhealthy for Christianity. Um, And so I think we've got to teach people the word of God and as best as we know how rightly divide the word of truth Uh, while at the same time not condemning people that use a different preaching vehicle than we do. Mm -hmm. um, And not thinking that our way is the only way that's pleasing to God. Because, by the way, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 is not an expositional sermon. Yeah, Um, He uses... Uh, You know, he quotes Psalm 16, he quotes Joel chapter 2. There's no way any of these notable expositors can say that that the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost uh, Pentecost was an expositional sermon. Um, There's no way that they should attempt to say that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is expositional. Uh, uh, You know, you maybe could say Acts 2 is Peter's sermon there is textual, maybe. Um, or, or uh, Jesus' sermon is it covers a variety of topics in Matthew five, six, and seven. Um mainly the issues that pertain to your heart. You could say that's a right. topical message on the heart. Um, and and Stephen's sermon he died for. Okay, uh, and that's the closest sermon that they could come up with maybe to be an, an exposition. But they would have to say it's an exposition of the entire uh, and the entire Old Testament. I mean, he covers so much of the Old Testament there. So um so brother i think um i think it covers really uh the whole gamut there so um brother you've got a lot going on on your end it looks like there
2: oh can you see me
1: yes sir yes sir
2: oh no i just uh so you're looking at the skype i've got the broadcast i've just got you up on the broadcast right now i was resetting the camera uh up top because so here's the thing i haven't figured it out um, my wife knows she knows uh, she went to school for photography and graphic design and I cannot figure out we've got to have some time to do it. But if anybody knows, let me know. We've got a Nikon D7000 and for whatever reason when I'm trying to use it as a uh, webcam and I leave it open without pressing record when, when I try to record it, it gives a 30 minute limit. Um, on the recording and then it shuts off. If I don't record it and just use it as a live stream, it shuts off after 30 minutes. So I haven't figured out where the timer is out on that or how to figure it out um, in that regard. But anyways, I'm switching over so you can see me now. This is actually the camera view, uh, but it shuts off after 30 minutes. So um, we'll figure it out. But anyway, what I wanted to, I wanted to um, ask you, you're giving a really good um, explanation for for some of the different styles between expositional and topical and and uh, how it's important to have a good balance um, for spiritual growth of uh, of the members of a church, but also in in regard to um, the preacher himself and, and the style of preaching that's a- applicable to the church. But I guess my question would be, and it, this is kind of be an antagonistic question, uh, how do I put this? If someone cannot exegete the scriptures as a pastor, should is that is that okay? I mean, is, is it is it is it okay to just be a topical preacher, um, or should you be able to have an expositional style of preaching?
1: Oh yeah, you you should be able to um, definitely because if, if you're a terrible exegete. Uh, then you'll be guilty of eisegesis, Mm -hmm. you know, just forcing your opinion on the text as opposed to letting the text speak for itself. Um, uh, A term I heard recently that a lot of preachers are guilty of is called narsegesis. So not exegesis, (laughs) but exegesis but narcissism, where you see yourself in the passage way, you know, way more than anybody intended. And preachers sometimes are big on themselves. So they get up and it's, it's really not about Jesus Christ. It's about James Johnson. And that's a problem, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think, but I think you can be a good exegete while preaching topically. And I think people like Dr. Hiles, um, is an example of that. That that middle uh, vehicle of preaching, uh, textual preaching, um, is something that Spurgeon uh, is famous for, um, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon utilized that uh, vehicle very well. And and Rick Warren is also famous for textual preaching yeah. um, and and of course, he raises some eyebrows when you say his name.
2: but um but so you know, what would you say is the biggest difference between uh, expositional and textual preaching? I see i'm 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 not hundred percent sure where the division is or what the difference between textual and e- expositional would be.
1: Um, you know some people say that there really is no difference um, but then other people make a distinction. So it just depends on which book on homiletics you're reading yeah, or what class so. you're in. But but the most common distinction between the two is that textual preaching usually covers one verse yeah. uh,
2: okay. as opposed
1: expositional you know I'll cover a, le- a lengthy passage tomorrow I'm preaching Acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 17 and so okay. my goal is to tell our people the message of that text so I think that would be an expositional sermon uh, but a textual is usually just just one verse okay uh, and they do try to tell you the message of the text
2: I see okay um, so where would you like to go from here do you want to do you want to play one of those videos? And kind of talk about that as far as where we're at today, or do you want to keep going in, the, in where we're at now?
1: Whatever you got, brother. Yeah, I haven't seen these videos, but I'm interested. You got me curious. You mentioned Stephen Furtick, uh, and, and he is a Southern Seminary grad, I think, if I, if I know correctly. And, uh, you know, they're big on exposition. Yeah. But he got away from that, yeah. and now he's really into entertainment. Um, I saw a video of him shooting Nerf darts out at his crowd, and so he's, <laughs> so, you know... Anyhow, I don't know what videos you've got, but I'm excited
0: to see, bro.
2: I don't understand that. I mean, so uh, when did props make it into preaching? I just, you know, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't have a door to walk through or a bed to lay on or a a Nerf gun to shoot at the crowd, like, I guess you're not relevant today. I don't know.
1: Right. People overdo that. I think object lessons are good, you know, but but at the same time, it better be to make the point of the text, otherwise you're (laughs) wasting everybody's time.
2: So... All right, I'm switching over here. Let me get this pulled up. For those of you who are viewing right now, just bear with me just a second. And here we go. We're going to pick it up right here.
0: Everybody in the theater, we were so loud at Stonecrest, but we we went to the Temple of Stonecrest, and we we watched the Gospel According to Rocky Balboa. And, And there's so much gospel in Rocky, but you probably don't know the backstory to it. And so, you know, it prompted me. Sermons come to me from all kinds of places, but I'm sitting here. Graham and Elijah went with me, and we're watching Creed 2. And I won't tell you how it ends because your homework this week is to prepare your offering, read your Bible, and go see Creed 2. Fantastic. And then, uh, and then I was thinking Graham was sitting with me, Elijah was sitting with me, the interns were there, and I was thinking like, remember my dad's in heaven now, and so I was remembering when he showed me. It was just a cool moment where I was like, every generation gets their own Rocky. <laughs> and then I thought, I wonder how many of them know the backstory of how Rocky Balboa was created. I wonder how many of I wonder how many of them know what these stones mean. You know, they know that Michael B. Jordan wasn't the first Creed.
2: <laughs> okay, so um, just a couple of things to address in this regard in this video that um, I think is relevant to the discussion is obviously you've got a a, a very good picture of uh, making a practical application through um, you know, a movie Rocky, something that it, most people have seen and uh, making it, uh, it kind of comparing it to the gospel of Christ with the gospel of Rocky Balboa. But one thing that I noticed is when the camera angle changes, you've got probably, uh, I don't know, 50 kids that are sitting up there on the stage with him behind him. And uh, it, it's kind of like he's addressing them um, and then you've got the audience behind him who is watching this interaction between him and the students and him kind of in, in a teaching atmosphere to them. And you're a viewer in the audience. What do you think about that in, in regard to that style? Of uh, Is that something that you could consider a homiletic even? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think that that's... that's- that's fine if people yeah. are behind you and you want to preach to them a little while and then turn and preach to the bigger crowd in front of you. I mean, yeah. you know, it it, uh, it is what it is. I, you yeah. know, I don't know what I think about that, I suppose. I want to ask you a question, though. What do you think about um, those kind of references uh, in preaching? Like, And I mean like overtly worldly references. So, like I heard, I said, I think should know better. Um, very notable guys. If I say their name, you know, you, the huge percentage of your audience will know these people or have benefited from some of their preaching. So yeah. I don't want to say their name. But but I mean, I know a, a really notable preacher who's quoting um, that Jerry Maguire movie in his sermon, which yeah. is a rated R movie. And I regret that I ever saw it because there's very ungodly stuff in yeah. that movie. And I mean, you, so if we're here to consider the text or, or, or a, a topic that, that Jesus wants us to understand... Don't bring in Rocky or, or Jerry Maguire or, you know, things that remind us of, of things that we've, like, confessed and forsaken. I mean, that's my yeah. thought. Am I wrong on that? And how do people justify that, especially really well-educated expositional yeah. preachers doing stuff like that? I
2: You know, so I, I kind of look at that um, probably – I. Some people may look at me and say, you know what, you're too liberal on this. I, I think that I, I just apply it to the principle that uh, all things are expedient, not all things. Not all things are lawful, not all things are expedient. So, um, it, you know, I grew up, my my family, mm-hmm. my uncle and my aunt and my grandparents grew up um, in, a, in a church that was ex- very legalistic. You weren't allowed to go to the movies at all. You know, yeah. and if you if, if the girls didn't wear a dress that was, it, one, if you wore pants, that's you know that's a sin. You're not a, you're not a good representation of what a female should be. Uh, sure. But if you go to the movies in general, if you if you're caught going to the movies, you can kind of get into those things. But as far as the expositional style of a preacher making a reference to Creed two uh, or to Rocky, I you know what I I'm, I'm going to some of you guys are going to go you know you're not a Christian or you're a terrible Christian. I don't have a problem with it. I mean you know it's it may be a rated R movie, but. It, I, I like Rocky. If Rocky is one of my favorite movies, Creed was one of my favorite movies. I you know, um, I I think that I think it's a good movie. But um yeah. I haven't seen Creed two. I don't know if I don't think that it I don't think that Christians should watch a movie that has nudity in it and that kind of stuff. Right, um right. you know, and if there if there is that in Creed two, I don't know. Maybe that's something that you shouldn't reference, but yeah.
1: Do you yeah, my my thought is I don't know everybody strikes that balance differently, but like I don't know that preaching is the place for movie references yeah. you know, and I'm not debating whether we should or shouldn't go to movies right. and, and all that stuff. Um, and and by the way, one of my Strength for Life videos coming up is on the topic of legalism. You just okay. mentioned that. So yeah. we're probably uh, three or four weeks away from releasing that, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about that.
2: So. That's good. So if somebody wanted to um, have access to your videos. Um, how is it just on your is it on your Twitter page or is it on the minister, you know, on your church's website? Where can where can those of you who are watching uh, access some of the information that you've that you put out there?
1: Yeah, they could go to our YouTube channel. We would really love it if uh, folks will go subscribe to the Strength for Life YouTube channel. And the best way to find it is just to type on YouTube Strength for Life Pensacola and uh, you should see our SFL logo and the channel there, and they oh. can click to subscribe on there. And, and we've been adding content every week, uh, fresh content, and we have a team of people uh, that, that help make that stuff as first class as possible, and we really wanna do just what the title says. Uh, we wanna offer strength for life, and so we try to um, deal with relevant topics in five or six minutes, Um, So that it's so that we really get right to the point of what we're trying to say Uh, Because most people I know we're going uh, here about what are we 45 minutes in yeah Uh, But uh, but but not everybody can watch this long of a video So we're trying to follow the kind of the Prager University format if you're familiar with Prager U videos Mm -mm. Uh, They're typically three to five minutes, and they're they're politically driven um, And they're teaching people educating people political things so much the more I think we need to teach and educate people uh, about biblical things and so so that's what we're trying to do so people want to search for us uh, they, They'll find strength for life Pensacola there on YouTube all the other strength for life's on YouTube are all about weightlifting and stuff <laughs>
2: So we're the only
1: one oh, okay spiritual needs uh, And then we also have a segment that's, that's actually broadcast across the country now. We just got picked up by a, a network uh, of radio stations and so we're super happy to have Strength for Life on the radio. And starting January 15th, we're producing a, a Strength for Life journal, uh, which is a newsletter that will go to five zip codes close to our church where we take that content and try to strengthen um, the, the spiritual condition of our community.
2: That's awesome. So if you if you are watching online right now, uh, you, you should be able to see the screen that I've got pulled up here. It's Strength for Life, and uh, it's the it's got a purple uh, background behind strength. And then... Uh, SFL so this this is good stuff guys Um, obviously here you've got it looks like you're up preaching in the in the very first video that I see Um, it's uh, you're speaking at Pensacola Christian College so that's the first video that I see there but then you come down here to the shorter clips overcoming jealousy celebrate like a Christian or an atheist Thanksgiving do you celebrate like a Christian or an atheist so um, yeah go ahead and check that out make sure that you guys subscribe to James C. Johnson's Strength for Life um, YouTube page. So that's good stuff on there for that as well.
1: Cool, man, yeah. yeah. Thank
2: switch you for the plug
1: cool. there. Thank cool. you for encouraging cool. the viewers cool. to, to subscribe. We hope it strengthens all of them for sure.
2: Hey, no problem. I'm going to pull up a few questions. It, did, was there anything else that you wanted to um, hit, uh, touch on before we switch over to the, the question from the audience and maybe a couple of questions that I had here as well?
1: Oh, sure, brother. Yeah, let's take some questions.
2: Okay. Let's see here. Oh, Jeff Passage. So I'm going to pull this up on... Well, let me switch over so that I can see his question.
1: Love Brother Passage. I really appreciate him. You mentioned he moderated uh, as, uh, one of the videos you were involved in, and I got to watch part of that. I thought he did a great job as your moderator.
2: Yeah, he did do a good job. He's. Um, I hope to have him back here pretty soon because... Um, He does a good job and interacts really well um, with everybody as well. So hopefully we'll get him back. I know, Jeff, you've been dealing with some stuff if you're watching right now. Get well soon, man. And uh, here's the first question that you've got. It looks like there's four or five from Jeff here. By the way, he says that he was a Ball State guy uh, when you pastored in Muncie at one time. So um, I'm not sure if you guys ever crossed paths there, but I'm sure that you know um, what that would mean to be a Ball State guy.
1: Yeah, cool. Go Cardinals. He knows all about the Cardinals.
2: That's awesome. Okay, first question. He says, because everyone in the audience has different learning styles, uh, would be visual, auditory, kinesthetic, uh, and then physical, how can a sermon be prepared to account for all of those styles?
1: Super good question. I... I like what Paul Chappell says about that. Uh, and that is that because s- some people do uh, learn differently than others, I am more of an auditory learner. I have all these books behind me and I've, I've read through uh, lots of them, but I am reading as a discipline for me. Um, I okay. make myself do it. I'm always glad when I did it, but it doesn't come natural. So I, I'm more of a, a listener. Um, but anyhow, the thing that Chapel does is he will try to stimulate as many senses of, of a listener, um, of a parishioner, as possible. So, like, he will give a sermon outline um, that people can fill in the blank. He'll have screens uh, behind him where point one, point two, point three, and maybe some subpoints pop up, um, and, and then he'll ask people to open their Bible or use their device and follow along. No playing solitaire, but actually following along, you know, on your device. Yeah. Um, and and then he'll use his voice and preach, you know, yep. so he tries to be creative with uh, engaging people in as many of those ways as possible. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank guy as far as I don't do it when people hand me papers and I'm right. a listener.
2: I don't uh, either. Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm not that way, but some people need that to stay engaged yep. because uh, – so I think if you can give – facilitate that. Chapel pastor's a large church, of course, um, but uh, so he's got a big staff and, and people can help make all that stuff right. happen. Uh, I mean, if you can facilitate that, I think that stimulates people even further to spiritual growth, so I think that's a healthy way to go.
2: So, um, he actually is, it, is his ministry Striving Together Ministries? I think that's it, it they, they put together a lot of booklets, him and his son um, what's his son's name again? I can't um uh.
1: L- He's got a couple sons, but Larry okay. is the the one most people know. Yeah. Okay,
2: they've put so I actually used that in, in one in one of our youth group um, Wednesday night studies. They did a series on d- a dark horse series, and it kind of you know it was a really good thing that you had a booklet that you could follow along with, with a student guide and a teaching guide. Uh, yeah. You know, but um, so there's there's another there's another application to the style. Uh, There, which is kind of more of a a classroom setting style of thing. But you can preach it and kind of work it together. Um, Yeah, I said he
1: has a couple sons. I'm not sure. I know he has Larry as a son, and then he's got, I think, two daughters. Okay.
2: So, yeah. Cool. Let's see. I've got uh, another question from Jeff. He says, can a pastor's preaching style or charisma help or hurt him while preaching?
1: I think both. Uh, It can help and hurt. Because if a, guy, if a guy has a lot of charisma, he can connect with the audience. But if a guy um, depends on his charisma too much instead of depending on the Word of God, uh, then that's the way it would hurt. Most of these guys that are exposition-only guys have a, a very good point when they say that if your goal is to just teach the message of the text, um, then it becomes the authority. Um, we are all under the authority of this text, and it it, puts, it takes the authority off of me, and it puts it on the Word of God, and, and, and again, a, a positive of exposition pre, expositional preaching um, is that it is teaching people the Word of God, uh, which is the greatest problem in American Christianity, as I, as I referenced it earlier, so we need that kind of thing, so typically, t- guys that are topical will be more charismatic in their, their, their style, um, so as long as a guy can be a fun personality, um, with his charisma, but then still teach us the word of God. I think that's a good balance to strike. And uh, I don't know if you know the name Kurt Skelly. Brother Passage may be familiar with. No, this, uh-uh, a, I don't. Or or Arby Willett.
2: Yep, he wrote Lett- a book called uh, More Sure Word that um, I've actually got a copy of, and I think that that was um, a very helpful. It I think he put it into a format that is very easy to read and not a whole. Um it's 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 ju- it's not overwhelming. It's something that anybody could comprehend as far as understanding the textual side of where the Bible came from. But yes. anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: Oh no, but that's a good thing to add. Yeah, Dr. Willett and Kurt Skelly are both super charismatic personalities, but they also will will communicate the message that God wants us to hear uh, from the word of God. And so they're, they're, they 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 Say, hey, this is the authority. Let's turn there. Let's consider what it says. And then let's have fun doing it.
2: Yeah, and absolutely. I think
1: effective communicators find that balance. And by the way, that's why guys like Skelly and, and Dr. Ouellette are preaching all over the country and writing yeah. books, and, and they're highly sought after guys uh, because they, they've struck that balance of connecting with people while still being dependent on the holy spirit and the word of god
2: so that would lead me to my next question this isn't from jeff this is from me so uh don't get mad at jeff when i ask this now when it comes to the textual side of preaching and the textual side of the person behind the pew uh do you think that it is a little bit confusing or controversial to have multiple different translations that are ab- that are you know, differ with each other when it comes to, um, I would say, the consistency of the message behind the pulpit to the consistency of the message in the pew.
1: Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know we use the King James version of the Bible at our church, and and we're not the kind of church that every time somebody comes to one of our services, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna mention uh, that. But what we do to, to emphasize a level of uniformity. Um, and and indirectly emphasize our conviction about the text is we do a public scripture reading. Um, so if you come two or three times, you start to get the idea. Okay, I've got my NIV or my ESV, and and it's not the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and so so people eventually um, will 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 figure it out. You know. So it's not something right. where where the tail wags the dog, as they say, or we beat people up over. Um, our textual conviction, but what we do is, is I have um, six deacons at our church, and so I rotate through the deacons every Sunday morning, and we'll do a responsive scripture reading. So we invite the people to stand, and um, and we he'll read a verse, and then they'll read a verse. And so in order for you to participate, and by the way, our people love that
2: mm-hmm. because
1: they feel invited in. Yeah. Um, if one guy just stands and reads the text, we all in our finite brains have a tendency to daydream. So right. if you say— responsive reading. Um, you know, people do engage, and like I say, our people really like it. And then it sends that message of, again, without beating young Christians up over over the issue, who don't understand anything about um, the debate within Christianity about uh, the translation uh, issue yeah. um, and the text issue. They, they don't know those, those debates and we don't want to unpack that on a Sunday morning right. when we're just seeing see their soul saved. So
2: I'm with uh, you hundred percent on that. Um, I think that I think that there should be a balance on that as well. I think that um, God as being light is, is something that he gives in in a revelatory form of showing somebody um, where the Word of God can be found. Um, yep. But that's a that's a conviction thing. I, I'm not sure. I think that you can take it overboard, and it becomes um, something that would that would uh, I wouldn't even say distract. I would say that it it would completely um, it shut out somebody from hearing the message that is actually contained in the text that you're delivering. More than, if, if if you if you if you have an unbalanced, um, I guess you know position
0: on
2: it so yeah okay so all right let's see Uh, Jeff has got a couple more questions if you've got time I want to keep it around an hour and then we'll shut her down I think we're getting pretty close to that Uh, number three, Jeff says, if a pastor, okay, so this is kind of along the lines of what we're talking about with, with the text. And I don't have any problem talking about the Greek. Some people think that, um, that a specific version will correct the Greek. I don't believe that. I believe that, um, God has actually preserved his word throughout, um, all generations. And, um, he's done it in, in obviously a Greek text, a Hebrew Aramaic, and he's, he's done it in, um, from those those Greek texts and Aramaic and and the Masoretic Hebrew has been preserved also in translations uh, into other languages. So I don't have any problem if you're reading um, another translation like we would do in English and say, you know what, if you want to go back to the root word or the etymology of a word, you can go to the Greek. There's no problem with that. Uh, but here's the question. If a pastor runs to the Greek, that's in quotes, uh, throughout his sermon, does that add credence to or detract from the sermon? And does it show a lack of trust in an English version? The English version of the Bible is how he worded that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think um, it can do it can do both. It just depends on why the pastor is running to the Greek. Um okay. You know, so if he's running to the Greek to show how smart he is or how smart he thinks he is, uh, then then that does detract from the message he's trying to communicate because people usually see through that, you know. And by the way, most of that stuff is so unrelatable to the people.
2: Right, absolutely.
1: Uh, yeah, most people don't, you know, it's not helping them. And again, the first rule of public speaking is consider your audience. Right, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I think, you know, like the, the famous... Um, uh, passage there in John chapter twenty one, I think verses fifteen and following. Jesus says to Peter, "Do you love me?" Yeah. And uh, it, most guys, when they preach that, will unpack the the different kinds of Greek words for love. Yeah. And you kind of have to do that when you preach John twenty one in order to understand Jesus saying, "Do you agape me?" Peter saying, "Yea, Lord, you know I fillet owe you." You right. know, and then it's so interesting at the end of the passage. Jesus again says do you agape me and Peter stays he sticks to his stuff and Every time it's I phileo you and then go feed my sheep or go feed my
2: lambs And he does
1: in Acts chapter, you know the book of Acts.
2: You know and what's interesting to me in that passage and in how it's used see Agape and phileo are not always translated the same way um, in in that regard I mean because even when you consider the the difference of those two Greek forms of that English word, um, you you look at John three sixteen and you would think that it's a brotherly type of love when it's a, it's more than that. Amen. So, yeah. But
1: a- very good point. Yeah. So just to answer his question, I think sometimes yeah. it hurts and sometimes it helps, and I think it just depends on what your goal yeah. is in in using the Greek. So I have guys that come to our church uh, with their tr, you know, their students. really. And so they yeah they don't bring an English Bible. They bring their their wow. TR and they hope and they hope I'm preaching in the New Testament. <laughs> you know?
2: Okay, so now I know this is a little off subject, but with the the TR, which one are they using? Stephanus or I mean, and I, that sounds a little confusing to say which one are they using because they all they're all very very the text itself is the same, but um, maybe that's something that we could talk about sometime. What's the difference between the five different editions of the TR and yeah. uh, um, so, anyways, what I would ask is, where what 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 edition do they use,
1: brother? I would love to come back for another hour sometime. Yeah, and we could talk talk about uh, a more sure word with Dr. Willett. Yeah, uh, you know his book, and I really like David Sorensen's book. Uh, I think it's entitled "Touch Not the Unclean Thing." Okay, and it is it's a little bit heavier than Willett's, but it is uh, it is it is terrifically comprehensive. Um, And and I grew up in Minnesota, and uh, David Sarnson's a Minnesota guy, uh, much older than me, but I I have a lot of respect for North Star publications and all that he's put together, and I appreciate his textual position. Is
2: that from Rochester?
1: I think it is Duluth. 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 Okay,
2: so Rochester and Duluth are kind of sister church. Is that the first Bible Baptist I don't
1: know. I, Rochester's in the southern part of Minnesota, and uh, Duluth is way north. But I, but I don't know. Maybe there's churches that have a connection up there. Yeah. Okay.
2: I cool. Well, um, what I, I think I've got one. No. No, I think we've addressed everything. So, I honestly, I think it was a good time. We're right around an hour, and that's a pretty good time to shut down. But uh, what I'd like to do is just simply give you the last word to uh, close us out and leave us with a final thought, if you would. Cool. Yes,
1: sir. Yeah, I just want to say that I think when it comes to homiletics um, that it can be unhealthy for people— to me, it's not a watershed issue. If you are a Bible preacher and you know Jesus as your Savior, and you're doing the best you can to preach the Word um, and 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 teach Jesus the the the, the Virgin Birth, sinless life, vicarious death, uh, the the conquering resurrection, um, if, if you're trying to teach that and you you go topical, great, I'm for you because I'm going to be in heaven with you. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're exposition only, I'm for that too. And if you're Spurgeon and you're textual. Uh, I'm for that as well. So I, I think this this conversation has been healthy. And what I would say is the idea that if you don't use my homiletical vehicle for preaching, you know that somehow you're you're less intellectual or you're um, not a good Christian brother or, or something. To me, it's not a watershed issue. It's not something we should separate over. And uh, and I am thankful for the influence of guys through that expositor summit uh, but I'm also thankful for guys uh, that that can preach topically and do it well and still be true to the text so um, I think we need to get along on this earth because we get to get along when we get to heaven
2: that's right yeah and some would say you have to get along Yes, sir. That's cool. Well, Pastor James, I really appreciate you coming on again. Um, I had a good time, and maybe we can do something uh, like this again in the future and may- hit the textual side of it. But I really appreciate it. It was good, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. So,
1: Yes, sir. Thanks so much, Brother Gibbs, for having me.
2: Thank you. You have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, yes, sir. All right, I'm going to go to closing here. Guys, I really appreciate it. For those of you who are still uh, viewing, stay tuned because uh, not this week, but next week we, on Tuesday, will be discussing actually uh, the Scripture side of where the Bible came from. And I'm going to be talking with uh, a guy. He goes by the Twitter handle at Sola Scriptura. Um, That'll be Tuesday around 830 if any of you who would like to view in on that. Uh, I think that it's something that needs to be talked about. I think that, um, you know, not just which version, but the history of the Bible, is it something that's reliable? Is it something that you can look back on and trace throughout history and say, you know what, this is the Word of God. And it's been here from the beginning. It's exactly what God said that we can have, that we would have, and that he would preserve. So we're going to talk about inspiration. We'll talk about preservation and uh, get into a uh, get into that subject a little bit today. I know that uh, not today, on Tuesday. I know that there's a lot of controversy around that subject and uh, I don't believe that um, we'll have any issue addressing some of those things that may be a bit controversial in some churches uh, but here's the good thing um, about this program I'm it's it's not affiliated with any specific church. It's I'm not a pastor I'm not a preacher or a teacher and as anything like that I'm just a normal average guy who goes to church and loves the Lord and studies these things and I am involved in the online community that allows me to meet people like you and if you would like to um, have a chance to have a discussion and and broadcast it and and interact with some of those people who would watch it let me know and maybe we can um, work it out to make that happen so anyways uh, thanks again for viewing and we'll catch up next time have a good one